if you have ever read through Luke's gospel, uh, as he retells the story around the birth of Jesus, it, at multiple times, four times, you get these, these different characters that break into song. Uh, different people that in the midst of all that's happening around the birth of Jesus, they just, they break into, they start singing. And so we looked at Mary's Magnificat two weeks ago. Or last week with Pastor Isaac, we looked at Zechariah, uh, his blessing over John the Baptist. Uh, next week, we're going to look at an often forgotten part of the Christmas story in Simeon and Anna in the temple and uh, Simeon's song. Uh, but today, what we're looking at, if we're going to talk about like, the genre of this song that we're looking at, is, is really the hit single of the Christmas songs. This is the top 40 hit. And, and I don't, I, I mean that quite literally because uh, the song that we're about to look at today has been retold or, or at least sung about in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Silent Night, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, or Gloria in Excelsis Deo, which is Latin for glory to God in the highest. Today we're going to be looking at the song of the angels uh, to these gathered shepherds. Now the thing is this song is so popular that it sets before you and me a big danger. And it is that we confidently mishear and misunderstand the song. This happened with all of us in Taylor Swift's song, Blank Space, where the lyric actually was, got a long list of ex-lovers, and we all, including her own mother, heard all the lonely Starbucks lovers, confidently singing along, like, all the lonely Starbucks lovers, they'll tell you I'm insane, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm revealing parts of myself to you right now of uh, the kind of music that I listen to. Um, and so the whole thing is here we are, we all, even Taylor's own mother, uh, the swift mother herself, and, and she mishears it. And, and so we, we, this happens all of the time. I mean, this happens with even Christmas songs of instead of round uh, yon virgin, mother and child, we hear round John the virgin with, and then mother and child. And so less about telling us about the nativity, it's some kind of like, you know, husky guy looking for love. And we're like, we don't know what is going on here. Even with my own uh, wife, and she knows, and Aaron does this specifically because she knows it annoys me. Bon Iver, his self-titled album that came out 10 years ago, he has this uh, track called Holocene on it. And in the like falsetto that only Bon Iver can do, and the weird lyrics that only um, Justin Vernon can do, is this like, the, the lyric is jagged vacance, is right. Jagged vacance. Da, da, da. Um, and my wife, every time we're in the car, we're playing it. She doesn't sing jagged vacance. She sings shake and bake, like the, like what you used to put chicken breast into. And, and she does that. She does this and she watches me because she knows that I'm just like, you know what the lyrics are now. See, the problem with really popular songs is we are in danger of confidently misunderstanding and even missinging them. I mean, researchers have looked into, like, why do we as humans do this? And the whole point behind misheard lyrics is our expectations and our assumptions of what we think we're about to hear then overrides what it is that we're actually hearing. And so here's the thing. As we're here at Christmas, as we're looking at these songs, Christmas is, of course, central value to the story that we as Christians believe. And these songs are part of that story, and we need to be really careful that we don't confidently mishear them. And so today what we're going to be doing is kind of tapping on the lyrics button, pulling out the lyric sheet of the Song of the Angels, their song of peace to the shepherds, leaning in so that hopefully we might have some of our assumptions poked around a little bit more about what Christmas is and hopefully prepare our hearts for what we're moving towards. And so with that being said, would you join me in standing as we read from the scriptures today? 
If you're new to Collective, we do this each week when we read. And this is similar to if you've ever seen someone raising their hands in worship or kneeling in prayer. A way of with our bodies acknowledging that what we're reading right now, this is something quite special and central. uh, That when we read the scriptures in community, we believe that God is speaking to his people. And so today we're going to be in Luke Chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. You're going to see the song right in the middle of our reading, but we'll read some of the surrounding stuff so that uh, we have some context for the song. But let's read this. I'll pray for us, and then we'll begin to kind of look at, the, look at the lyric sheet together. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, or was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Yet the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will see a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, with the angel, there was a multitude of the heavenly host, all praising God and and singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to them the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. And so, Father... Uh, thank you once again for your word. Uh, God, we're grateful for, um, man, even just the history behind the gospel of Luke. Um, God, that you have guided, um, that you guided Luke in pulling together all of these eyewitness accounts and bringing this together. And through our history, you've preserved this through scribe after scribe, uh, diligently uh, copying and handing this down, just the, the miracle of what is this book before us. It's just astounding. And so we pray that as we reflect on this today and this song of the angels, you would help us open our ears, open our eyes. We, we don't want to mishear the lyrics of this song. And so we pray that you'd help us. And I pray with, you'd be with us in this time. And here we pray. Amen. I want you to go ahead and take a seat. And so for those of us that are uh, both celebrating and investigating Christmas, I mean, this text, this passage brings us so many questions, uh, questions about angels, questions about a virgin birth, questions about it all going back into heaven. Who's the heavenly host? What in the world is going on here? Do angels exist? Like there's so much going on. Now, here's the thing, all wonderful, good questions that the, the 
the passage naturally wants to bring out of us. But again, today, we're just going to be focusing on that song. So let's set those other questions almost within this story and kind of ask, what in the world does this song mean? And that is the central question to the Christmas story because as the budding theologian Linus Van Pelt said in A Charlie Brown Christmas, after retelling what we just read, he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Uh, our little budding theologian, Linus Van Pelt, ladies and gentlemen. If you're not watching that this year, uh, you failed. If you are not listening to the soundtrack by the Vince Guaraldi Trio, you've, you've wasted your Christmas. Um, go, back, go back to January and start over. Um, but you're, man, oh, it's so good. Anyway, so this is the thing. Obviously, this, is a, this song and what it's setting forward is central, not just because Linus Van Pelt is onto something, but because this song is, I mean, think about the context of what's going on when this song appears. This is not like Mary just at the conception. This is not next week with Simeon and Anna uh, at Jesus' dedication. This is at his birth, and this is the song that's central right here. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace with those with whom he's pleased. Okay, so what does this song mean? At the central point of the song, the central theme of the song is this word peace. That these angels are announcing that in the birth of Jesus, there is now peace. Now, we have a common enough usage of the word of peace in English. We use it to talk about the absence of conflict or chaos, the absence of, of mess, we also, though, talk about it as the acceptance of conflict or chaos or whatever the mess may be. So what I mean by this is we will use this word peace to talk about global peace and like the cessation of all war, right, and conflict. But we also talk about it as internal peace, which is not necessarily that I'm dealing with all my junk, but I've just kind of accepted that this is who I am. And we use that for both of those in my house, where in order to be a functioning human being with a four-year-old and a one-year-old, household peace comes in both trying to find the absence of the mess that my children create, but really just having to accept it. If I want peace, it will have to be one of those two things. And the other one's not going to happen, and so I just have to accept it. So we use peace largely to talk about the absence of the mess or the acceptance of it. And though this language is utilized sometimes in the scriptures, when you look particularly in the Old Testament in the Hebrew, what's really interesting is you see the word peace being used to describe things that we would never identify as being things that need or have peace. For instance, rocks are described as having peace or walls or buildings or a flock of sheep as having peace. So for us, based off the way that we use peace in our language, we go, okay, so is this a rock with a headspace account? Are these sheep doing yoga on a regular basis? What flocks and rocks and sheep that have peace? When you then look in the context of what's being described, it's a rock that doesn't have any cracks. It's a wall that's not missing any bricks. It's a building that doesn't have any gaps. It's a flock that has all the animals accounted for. They're right here. You see, peace, far more than just being the absence or the acceptance of mess, is about the wholeness and completeness of something with a lot of complex moving parts, but that all the same has been brought together and has found wholeness. This is the basic meaning of the word, and as it shows up as a verb, to be making peace is when something which has been scattered or broken, the wall falling down, the flock that's been scattered, to make peace is to restore, to mend that thing back into wholeness and completion. When used about humans, if you were reading through the book of Proverbs uh, with us this fall, you know, it describes peace between these warring kingdoms as not just being the moment that everyone lays down their swords, but peace as being the moment when those formerly warring kingdoms pick up tools and begin to build and work things together. 
So you see, peace in the biblical framework is not just the absence of the mess, it's the presence of something greater, something new. And this is the central thing that's being set forward in Christmas, is that this mending work, not simply the absence or just helping us accept the mess of this world, something's being put back together again and something new is in place of that now. The question is, what is being mended? Well, peace where? The song tells us, peace on earth. Now, this is vital for us to understand. This is not written in a vacuum. This is not the earth of once upon a time. This is not a romanticized sentimentality of the earth, but the earth of Luke, well, chapter two, verses one and two, what we just read, that boring bit that you started to fall asleep at. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus when all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Why is that in your Bible? (laughs) Why does Luke, I don't care about Quirinius. I can't even pronounce his name. What's going on here is Luke is making certain that the earth that the angels are singing peace over is the earth of history. The earth where Caesar and Quirinius and and forced registrations for the ongoing and, and deeper efforts of taxation from the Roman Empire. This is the earth that they are singing peace over. It is the earth where Caesar reigns and the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, has spread through the sword. And it is at some form an acceptance or an absence, but one that has been made by the big bad empire who regularly would register all citizens for the sake of greater taxation because that is the price of peace. This is not just the earth of history, it's the earth of reality, Uh, an earth that is filled with injustice and war on the global scale, but even on the personal and the interpersonal, the family, the relational, of deceit and betrayal, of gossip and shame, of regret and fear, a world where sickness and death where pregnant women are left out in the cold, is exactly what the story tells us. This is the earth that the angels are singing peace over. An earth, as the apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter eight, that is groaning for restoration, groaning for reconciliation, for the mending, for peace to be made here on earth. Not just within our world on a global political scale, but internally within ourselves, within our family systems, within our friendships, within society at large, and even within creation. And all of that connecting to and flowing from is, again, the Apostle Paul would say in Romans uh, chapter one, the broken relationship with God himself. That is the root cause of what is going on here. Is a creation with incredible humans tasked with leadership and authority over this planet, that what we do somehow changes our world, you and I. And out of a broken relationship with God, we drag each other and ourselves and one another deeper into and further away into the darkness, into the mess. And here's what's perfect. This is the setting of the Christmas story. This, this world. A holiday so regularly marked by sentimenta- uh, sentimentality and nostalgia and optimism, right? Is... The actual Christmas story is in the days of the decree when Caesar Augustus was forcing people to go back to their home to register so they could continue to be taxed at an exorbitant rate. That This is actually the world, a world groaning for restoration. It's a world as dark as night that the angels illuminate and begin to sing that peace and restoration, the mending work of God is right here, right now. But the song doesn't end here because though this is peace on earth, it is for and found in and among only those, it says, with whom God is pleased. So the peace is here on earth, but where is it only found? Only among those, or in those, it can be translated, with those whom God is pleased. Now, 
what we hear when we hear this, those with whom God is pleased. Well, we'll just do this. This is where you expect the preacher is going to go at this point. Okay, Ryan, here's what I know. Peace is available on earth with those whom God is pleased. And so what you're going to call me to is basically say it is those who are good and respectable, those who have got their life together, that they've pulled themselves up out of their mess, and they begin to put their lives together. They've lived a life that's pleasing to God. This is what it means. And so more or less we, we, we read peace among those with whom he's pleased as peace with those who have already made peace for themselves. Peace with those who have, have dealt with, whether the internal or the global or the familial, all the mess in their lives, those that have put that together, completed and made whole, those broken places, that's where God's peace is found. Those who have, who have fixed it. When we read it this way, we read into this story that God is some form of a celestial Santa Claus. Looking over you and I's li- our lives and, and kind of making his list and he's checking it twice. And he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. And the whole point is he's looking for who, who is complete, who is whole, who is, who is dealing with and dealt with the mess of their life and their world, and then he's got his coal or his gift of peace waiting for whoever that may be. But the angel's song of peace and pleasure is for people who are exactly, exactly anything but people who have fixed up and cleaned up all the mess. Though the shepherds of the story are romanticized and, and cute, they show up in little kids' nativities with, you know, pillowcases or, you know, dad's robe or something like that and some stick they found. They spend the whole time hitting each other with it. Personal story. Though romanticized and cute in their day, this was not so. The shepherds of their day, they were uh, uh, seen as insignificant. Within society, they were unseen and unheard. And even more than that, they were despised. Because they were seen as being uneducated, they were seen as being dishonest. The religious leaders of the day saw the shepherds as being unclean. And because of their kind of, you know, societal viewpoint of being known to be dishonest, they had an inadmissible testimony in any legal proceeding. If you had a shepherd who was a witness, you could not bring the the shepherd in. Even more than that, the Greek philosopher Aristotle said that shepherds were the laziest class of humans. Their whole job is just sitting around. And like watching kind of sheep and like making sure one of them doesn't run away. They were insignificant. They were despised. They were uneducated. They were unseen and unheard. And, and all of this came together with a perception of them as being those that are displeasurable to the rest of the world. One commentator, man, he, he, he's going through and he's trying to make as many modern connections for us to see the story from our own perspective. And he compared the shepherds in the first century to the day laborers in our city today. Those, those, those people waiting outside of Home Depot looking for work, many of whom are undocumented, many of whom are trying to figure out how they're going to make their next paycheck. And, and yet they're seen with, from this perspective. Within, there's a whole story within each of these individuals, and yet one way that we read over them. And so he, he views that, if, man, if we were going to retell the, the, this story in a modern world, it would be day laborers there showing up before the sun has come up on this cold morning, and the angel appears not over their flocks at night, but over the Home Depot parking lot, and begins to profess and call over, like, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, over these individuals. You see, the shepherd's experience is that the mess of this earth is not an abstract idea for them. The mess of this world is a lived experience, and yet the way that the world has been structured and set up, they find themselves between a rock and a hard place. 
Because on one angle, they are unable to accept the mess of this world. And yet, within the way the world has been wired on them or within them, they are unable to abolish and deal with it. They cannot accept, but they also cannot find the absence of the mess. And they find themselves here in this place of a rock and a hard place. To move this and, and maybe be guilty of a little bit of spiritualizing here, maybe you do see yourself in that way, it's some way. That on some point you are unable to accept the mess within the world or within yourself, and yet you are hopelessly powerless to do anything about it. And each of your best attempts to deal with the mess of maybe some relationship of that you broke or someone who, 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 who deeply wounded you through their words or their actions, that every single time you try to deal with the mess because you can't accept it, it feels like you're just rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. Utterly powerless to deal with that one area or that main crucial thing that every time you get close to trying to, to resolving and working through it, once again, it just feels like I'm utterly powerless to change this. As, as powerless as the shepherds in trying to find themselves in some new understanding within their society. And here, the surprise of the angel's song here is that the mess of this world and even the mess of their own lives and the mess of your life, all of it, doesn't keep you from God's peace or from God's pleasure. It's actually the very basis of you receiving it. Some of us here are recovering perfectionists, and if you were raised in any kind of a religious background, like there's, there, you've, got, you've got a little bit of that in you. That at the end of the day, we may talk about grace and Jesus and all this fun stuff, and the, at the end of the day, we view God as more or less a celestial Santa Claus who's making his list, he's looking over everything, and he's waiting to find those of us who have got our stuff together. And his grace is, is kind of the final cherry on top for the people that have really got their stuff together, but maybe they got one or two little areas they really need to deal with. And the whole story of what Christmas is developing for us right here is God's peace and God's pleasure is precisely with the people who cannot help themselves. And so what's the basis? If this is so awesome because it's able to be provided for us in the midst of our mess and that's the way that God meets us, how do we find this? The opening lyric of the song says, glory to God in the highest. Now a little Bible nerd nugget for those of you that don't care uh, is uh, that you have uh, glory to God in the highest and then among, uh, uh, in, in on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased is, is this little couplet. So the whole point is that glory to God on earth is, or glory to God in the highest is not a separate thing. It's not an introduction to peace on earth. They are two ways of saying the same thing. Peace on earth and, and glory to God in the highest are one, God's glory, his reign, his rule, his presence, and the experience of peace and God's pleasure are, are they're happening at the same time. And so what's happening here is that God's peace and pleasure is through God's glory in the highest. And so what the angels are doing here, more than like saying, oh, hey, glory to God in the highest, like you give glory to God in the highest. It's not a call to worship. It functions more as an announcement that God's peace and his pleasure are now filling creation to the highest, to the top, to the fullness in God's glory, in God's presence, in his ruling and reigning presence. And so this is, it sounds astounding. I mean, for them, God, we see God's glory show up in, in chapter two where the angel shows up and then God's glory shines around them. It's this, some kind of radiant luminescence that shows up. And so are the angels saying that, that, that God's shining in, is, is showing up and filling up the earth? They're saying that God's presence, 
God is making his presence seen and, and he's filling up all of creation. How is this happening? Uh, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, the angels tell us precisely how. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel song of peace and pleasure and glory or the presence of God is the result of the birth of Jesus. The way that God is mending a broken world, the way that, that messy little humans like you and me are able to find and be assured of the pleasure of God and the way that God's glory and presence has filled all of creation is in the birth of Jesus, is in Jesus himself. How, how do we find this playing out and happening? Well, we can do this by looking at those three titles that the angels ascribe to Jesus. Now, there's overlap to be sure, but all the same, these three titles that I think help us see what's going on here. Savior, Christ, and the Lord. The first is Jesus as our Savior brings us that peace that we long for in this world. If you look back to what Pastor Isaac preached on last week in chapter 1, verse 71 and 77, we see that word Savior show up right around uh, deliverance from our enemies and for the forgiveness of sins. That when we talk about what does it mean that Jesus is Savior, we see simultaneously deliverance from our enemies and the forgiveness of sins. How does he bring this about? Not like the sword with the Pax uh, Romana, not like the peace of Rome, but as Colossians 1 would put it, that Jesus has delivered us from the enemy behind our enemies, that he is restoring and reconciling enemies to one another, and he is forgiving sins. Jesus has done all of this through, Colossians 1 says, through his cross. This is a savior who has come and is, is forgiving sins and he's restoring humans and he's delivering us from our enemy all through his cross and resurrection, dealing with the key issue of all of that breaking down of, of what the Bible refers to as sin. Now here's the thing, for Jesus to be this gift of God that is our savior, who brings forgiveness of sin and deliverance of enemies, is what Tim Keller identifies as a humble gift or a humiliating gift. In the sense that if you were to get a gift for Christmas from someone, you, you sit down, oh, you know, I got you something. I, I know you had the list, but I just wanted to get you something that I feel like you really needed, right? And you open it up, and it's a, you get a, one thing is a diet book, and the other is a book called Overcoming Selfishness. <laughs> for you to receive the gift and say thank you is to say, yeah, I'm, I'm obnoxious and I'm fat. Thank you. Like, th yeah, this is exactly what I needed. Thank you so much. That gift causes us to swallow our pride, to acknowledge that, if th that not only that this is how you see me, but me in receiving this is that indeed this is true of me. And the whole point here is, is to receive Jesus as Savior, deliverance from your enemy and forgiveness of sins, is a it's a humbling gift to be received because what it infers is you, in fact, do need a Savior. You, in fact, do need deliverance. You, in fact, have sins that need to be forgiven. And you are in a world that cannot mend itself as hard as we may try. It's a, it's a humiliating, it's a humbling gift to be received. And so Jesus is the Savior who brings us peace. He's also the Christ who brings us the pleasure of God. Uh, Christ, or uh, in the Hebrew, uh, is the M Messiah. Is this long, I mean, I, I, goodness me, to summarize this all in, in a few points here. The Messiah is a, is a theme that begins on the opening pages of the Bible and runs all the way through. It is the, the story of the awaited and anointed human being, the one who would be the complete human that it seems like every single human, not just that we know and are, but everyone that we come into contact, contact within the Bible fails to be. 
And so the Christ, the Messiah, was this awaited one who would fill that category of doing what humans were made to do, to image and reflect and to bring peace and be peace themselves, the Prince of Peace, Messiah. All of this is what's riding on and hoping for what Jesus is being said as being here. And in being a whole and complete human, when Jesus, just a few years later, a page over, when he is baptized to kick off his ministry, at his baptism, spoken over him by God the Father, is this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the whole point of what it means to have Jesus Christ born to us is that though that in him there's a new humanity, a new family being, more, being born. And for those of us who are in Christ by faith and with him, that what is true of him becomes true of us. And so for the father's words over Jesus at his baptism, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, now becomes true of us. Amid the mess, amid all of the displeasure and the rejection of the world, is that at the end of the day, if I have faith in Jesus and I am on, on team Jesus, whatever that means, that regardless of what the world says about me, regardless of what I say about me, what Aristotle and the rabbis say about those shepherds, what the world or some parent said to you, regardless of what has been said about you, amid all of the mess, because of the birth of Jesus, spoken over your life is, in you I am well pleased. And you see the overlap here because this immediately takes us back into the place of peace. That sort of gospel being spoken over us is the sort of thing that mends your soul in a way that you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps never could. And so as our Savior, he brings peace. As the Messiah is Christ, he, he brings and wins the pleasure of God. And as the Lord, he is the fullness of the glory of God. As Hebrews 1 puts it, the radiance of the glory of God. Or as the prophet Isaiah put it, 700 years before Jesus was born, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And this is the profound statement of what happens at Christmas and why we're all here is, is we believe that Jesus is not just one of many saviors, one that has come to deal with and help us out of the mess. He is more than simply just a really awesome human, maybe even a perfect one, but in all of this, he is God himself become human. And in doing so, he is the way that the glory of the Lord is experienced and found on a messy earth like this. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Once again, to just restate it all, God with us who? For unto you, messy shepherds and messy humans, for unto you. God with us where? This day in the city of David. Historical details of this messy, the, historic, the, the earth of reality. And God with us how? Lying in a manger, a dirty, messy feeding trough for animals. That this is, that, that God is with us, messy people, where? This messy earth, and, and how? Within the mess and through it all, displacing the mess by mending us, but, but not at a distance, by handing down either a collection of teachings for you to get better and try harder, or simply some passive just kind of, hey, you can just accept, and, and if you just kind of let go of all of your desires, then, then you'll be able to accept the life that you're living, and that's actually the way to happiness. No, this is the story of what separates Christianity from everything else, is the God who doesn't simply just the God who actually enters into the mess of creation. This is what separates all of them. Every single thing is either is, is a wise teacher to help us accept or, or deal with the mess. And at the, at the central line within Christianity, what Christmas is all about is the fact that 
that actually your messiness, your, your brokenness, the shame of what's been said to you or what you've done to other, your fear and your guilt and all of it is actually, as one author puts it, the geography of God's arrival. That the Christian faith is predicated not on you doing better and trying harder, but the fact that you can't, and that's the very place that God desires to meet you. That God has entered the mess, and now his peace and his pleasure, his glory, his presence is found among the people who are beyond. They are done pretending that they can erase or accept it. In order for it to be a gift of grace, in order for it to be all that it is, it is to be one that is received. My favorite three words on Christmas morning is reading on a box, no assembly required. And, and the Christian message is one that the peace and the pleasure and the glory of God is one of no assembly required. It's merely to be open and received. And the problem is that so often, so many of us, we open the box and we've got Allen keys and we're actually messing up the toy, the gift, the peace, the pleasure, and the presence of God by the very fact that we're trying so hard to make it something that it's not. And so for those of us here who are worn ragged in our attempts to make our peace with to accept the mess of this earth in their lives, that we are just tired of trying to, to let go and just this is what it is or this is my life and this is who I am. We are tired from that. For those of us who are exhausted and hopeless and, and whether that's what the world offers as peace or we're hopeless and exhausted for our own attempts at that and our trials and failures to deal with the mess of our lives, to clean yourself up or, or to go out there and clean the world up. For those of you that believe that God is either absent from you or that at best he sees you like a disappointed Santa preparing his coal, to go back to Linus, what Christmas is all about is that God is mending this world, this messy world through his Messiah, and that your messy place between a rock and a hard place is the very place where God is not just here to meet you, but he's with you right now. And so on one point, yes, we as Christians, we always want to point to Jesus' future return when he makes all things true, when this peace is fully experienced. But the whole point of Christmas is that you're not just waiting for that, but that that peace and that pleasure, that presence of God is available for unto you this day. It's available and it has been for the past 2,000 years. And so as we wrap up, for, for some of you, man, the, the next step of where do I go from here is you, like the shepherds, you, you're saying to yourself, let us go over and see. Okay, angels, we're going to go. We'll go to Bethlehem. We're going to go check this out for ourselves. There are some of you that I would, I would entreat you that as you're here, maybe you're check, you're, this is your like, you know, one or two, three times that you come to church on a regular basis. That don't, don't scoot past this. Don't move into the new year and back into those normal rhythms of you trying to deal with or accept the mess, but to see that there's an invitation here. And so maybe that's you need to talk with someone, you need to pray with someone, but I would entreat you, like Mary, ponder this over in your heart. To pray, to consider, to investigate. For others of us here, man, this week I, I was reading... Um, John Chrysostom, uh, he, uh, with a name like that, you probably assume he's a very, very old guy. Uh, he was uh, one of the early church leaders in the 300s. And so he has all these sermons um, that you can, you can read. And I was reading his sermon from this, this very passage, just saying, okay, John, what are you up to here? What do you see, Chrysostom? And man, he just, there's times where they, they're reading the Bible in a way that, that I, I just completely miss. And, and he points out that, Christ is no longer laid in the messy manger of hay, but now in the messy manger of your heart. And uh, that the, the very way that God was displacing and mending the mess of this world was as Jesus was born incarnate, 
like birthed by Mary and laid in this manger. And for those who are the people of Jesus, those who are the people of faith, that the movement now is to lay Jesus in, and not to clean up the hay, not to clean up the manger. You can't. A manger is where they stored animals. There is poop and animals and mess, just like your heart. Maybe not poop. You need to go see someone. I don't know how that got in there. But the whole point being that... <laughs> I need more coffee. Um, the whole point being is that you and I, the, the, the invitation is, what if we, like Mary, looked at the manger and said, look at our own lives and said, this is what we have to work with, and all the same, Jesus, would you come and would you, would you rest here? Would you make yourself abide here? And allow him to uh, begin to displace and mend your own heart with his peace and his pleasure and with his presence. And so what we're going to be doing in a time of response here in just a moment is we're going to be uh, not just singing, I'll talk more about that in a moment, but, but inviting us to pray either by ourselves or going to our prayer team that will be on both sides of the room. And, and as we do this, to kind of make room for him amid our pain, our doubt, our grief, our failures, our fears, whatever it may be that you feel like is the thing that you've got to get fixed before you're ready for Jesus or Jesus is ready for you, Christmas is saying that's actually the very thing that Jesus wants you to rest him in. And so for some of you, it may be that, that peace. There may be some mess for you that, that is the thing that you feel like that needs to be mended. And you, you keep trying and you keep telling yourself that once you figure that out, that's going to be the moment when, and the whole point today is actually that that peace is no assembly required. Similarly, in the idea of, of God's pleasure being in and among you is that that's not your experience, but there's some overriding shame that you carry, some guilt, some fear, that because of the displeasure of others, it's quite difficult for you to believe that God is actually delighting in and pleased in you. And so whether that's praying with yourself or going to someone on the prayer team, just having, I, God, would you, Jesus, would you rest in me and may what is true of, of this Jesus, Father, would you help me to make true about me, to see that that is how you see me, as your, delight, as your child in whom you delight. And then finally, when it comes to the presence of the glory of God, that there are many of us that in the midst of the, the, the stress and the mess of the past few years, that we feel like God is absent and far from us. And maybe it's not just what's been going on out there, but in the midst of the stress and the pressure, it pushed you to some breaking point. And now that's the, that's the thing that you're just, I, I, I don't know what to do with, with this. And it feels like God wants nothing to do with me because of that. The whole, would you see God delights to enter into messy stories and to see that God is with you in the midst of that. And so during our time of response, that's kind of the leading thing, but uh, Chrysostom, for the win, again, he pointed out that as Christ is no longer laid in the manger but the heart, he is now no longer held in Mary's hands but in uh, the churches in communion. And, and that as we come and we receive the bread and the cup, we receive Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for us. And like Mary, bringing him close and loving and receiving him, that we now each week as we come and we take open you know, our, our, our bread and our cup, as we drink and we eat, we are remembering and receiving that God is with us and God is for us. And that is shown most profoundly, not just in his incarnation of taking on flesh, but in, in his death on the cross. And we bring him in closer.
to find that that peace with God has been made and that this is the way that God is setting the world to rights, that that pleasure of God has been secured through his death and resurrection and that his presence is drawn near to us. And that there is something profound that happens when we come to the table as the gathered church that Jesus is with us in a way that he just isn't during the rest of the week. And so we come and we remember and we receive his death on the cross, his resurrection, his reigning over the world, a peace that doesn't call for you to accept the mess so that you can get by and one that puts all of the weight of fixing this world and fixing yourself on you, but a God who says, I am here with you and I am at work. And that allows you maybe just to set a little bit more easier as we move towards Christmas. Let's pray.